Okie doke. So uh, we wanted to cover the Commonwealth Bank's Household Spending Intentions Index, uh, something they track month to month to sort of track whether people's intentions are based in like buying a house right now, whether that's gone up, whether transport spending's gone up, home buying spending intentions and, and that sort of thing. It tracks it month to month. Bear with me one second. I'm going to shut my window. Yeah. Sorry. So um, for the month of February, the household spending index jumped 1.8% to 107.3, driven by an uptick in transport spending and home buying spending intention. So transport spending was up 11% in February. Part of this is in in due to the higher fuel prices and increased spending Uh on taxis, parking lots, car washes, and freight trucking services uh, since we've sort of started to come out of uh, come out of, I guess, the Omicron shit that was going on in Australia and people are starting to come out and get back amongst it in the economy. So uh, many people continue to work remotely. So public transport spending was still at weakened levels. The other thing mm-hmm. I thought was interesting about this was home buying intention. So uh, home buying intentions for spending and buying a house surged 29.6% in February people returning from holidays. So I guess it, it was a lower level than the same time last year, but still high. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wondered your thoughts, whether you think that uh, people are maybe like, why do you think at first, like people uh, wanting to buy a house, why do you think that intention has gone up as well as uh, what else you think of the, the news? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple of reasons. Like with these intentions surveys, you probably got to look at what what questions they ask, mm. you know, because, you know, if you're walking down the street and someone says, you know, um, yeah, what, what are the things that keep you awake at night, you might say, yeah, whatever. Mm. But if someone comes up and says, are you concerned about something? Well, you might say you are, but you're only saying you are because you were fed that line. So it's with these surveys, it's, it's a bit hard, but... It is pretty clear that intention, people's intentions drive their actions. So I think there's probably a couple of things driving it. One is there's more talk around about prices dropping um, everywhere in the media and that sort of thing. And a lot of it's driven by what happened in Sydney, what's happened in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, so, you know, as people hear that there could be you know, price correction, they probably form the intention of, okay, I might buy a property or if I've got a property already, I might buy another property. The other one I think is interest rates. Um, you know, people might think, okay, interest rates are tipped to go up. I might get in uh, to buy a property before interest rates go up. Because one of the things, when interest rates go up, you know, borrowing capacity will likely go down because the banks add 3% to the interest rate you know, to buffer, you know, to, to factor in rate rises. The other thing is um, there, you know, from, from different reports in some markets, there's more listings and, you know, listings are up. So, you know, as people hear that there's more stock on the market, you know, wherever they're looking, um, you know, they'll probably influence their intention. So I think that's probably what's driving it. Whether it turns out into action, who really knows? Um, there's a lot of sort of, weird stuff happening in the world at the moment, which um, we will talk about a bit later with inflation and that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, we'll just have to see how that goes. But as it says, you know, it was um, an increased 29.6%, which is a you know, fair, you know, 30% increase. So it's, it's pretty fair whack. But whether it actually, um, you know, turns into something, I'm not too sure. One of, the, one of the things around listings that I remember hearing ages ago that the CoreLogic track um, the CMAs that um, real estate agents do. Um, so if you know someone, if someone in Richmond wants to sell their unit, they'll go to the local real estate agent normally, and say, you know, hey, you know, John and Mary, we want to list our unit, and the agent will look on CoreLogic to see what it's worth. So do a comparative market analysis, and generally, that then translates a month or two down the track into a listing. So I haven't seen them stats for a while, and they're normally like a lead indicator of what sort of yeah, how many properties are going to be coming onto the market? So, if we could track down that stat, that'd be that'd be good. I reckon mm. we might even do that. Yeah, I'll try and catch it. Um, yeah. Second thing I wanted to cover was the importance of regional towns. So Simon Presley, uh, he's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. Re- released a report, uh, sort of talking about how uh, a lot of a lot of people who want to invest think that the best place to invest is either right near where they live or it is you know one of the capital cities and that's the the be yeah. all and end all of having success in investing in property so he highlighted mm-hmm. a couple of towns with low populations that uh, I thought we'd share uh, from his report so he talked about Bendigo which is a rural country town in uh, Victoria had an average of 7.4% capital growth annually over the last 20 years. That's outperforming Australia's five largest capital cities. Byron uh, Byron Bay has a population of 37,000 people. So by uh, cities, it's the 73rd largest city in the country and it averaged 10.6% capital growth over the last 20 years. Uh, And then he used that comparison with Perth uh, which is the capital city over in WA. It's got a population of more than 2 million people and the median value of houses and apartments declined over the 10 years ending 2020. Um, yeah. Keep in mind, they have experienced some price growth since the start of COVID. Uh, so that's yeah. it's worth mentioning, but uh, overall it performed pretty badly compared to some other uh, smaller places. Uh I guess what I wanted to, to sort of preface that and, and talk about it from is do you, do, from our perspective, how many clients who we've spoken to uh, who are looking to invest, how many of them is their main thought like let's just get amongst it, investing in a capital city, regional areas aren't something we're looking at? Like how many people believe that the capital cities are like the be all and end all of success? Yeah, well, I think it, it depends on the people and also depends on where they get their advice from. So, like, we follow a lot of the national buyers agents and, you know, their research and, and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, usually free and pretty fantastic. And, you know, as the stats showed, you know, Bendigo, Byron Bay, you know, some of the other cities like Newcastle, Geelong, Wollongong, Cairns, Gold Coast, you know, Ballarat, Warrnambool, Launceston, Hobart, all these other places over the course of a long period of time, Orange, Dubbo, you know, Wagga Wagga, you know, they've, they've outperformed Sydney and Melbourne from a from like a growth perspective. So, and the other thing that those places have in, have in common compared to Sydney and Melbourne is they're very affordable. So, yeah, generally um, a lot of people who, you know, if you ask someone in, 
um, Shepparton, you know, where you're going to buy an investment property, a lot of them would probably invest in Shepparton, and that that might be a good idea. Um, but the chances that 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 property is the best place to invest is probably you know one in two hundred or something because that's how many regional towns there are. So I think for a lot of like when we speak to clients about investment, our first sentence is that you don't necessarily want to invest where you live because just because you like it there doesn't mean it's the best place to invest. Um, there's probably better growth locations around the country than where you live. And, you know, if if you approach property like shares, if you've already got a lot of Combank shares um, and you get given a lot of money, would you then just go buy more Combank shares or would you go, look, I'll get some Woolworths shares or some Rio Tinto shares or Afterpay shares, you know, to spread your risk? Mm -hmm. So it's about that. Um, you know, Simon's very big on that population is a factor in driving property growth, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You know, there's a whole mix of things that determine whether an area is going to grow or not. Um, we had a client um, talk to, I got some, we've got quite a few clients have born in Brisbane recently, and I was chatting with one of them last night, and um, she said on their private Facebook page um, for the area she lives in, um, this Facebook page, one of the agents talked about a property that um, in Brisbane, can't remember the suburb, but in 72 hours, there was 163 groups of people went through the property and they ended up having 178 offers. Mm -hmm. So there were 93 groups offering. Some offered once, some offered twice, some offered three times. So there's lots of things that drive growth, not just, not just population. Um, which is what sort of Simon's getting at. And, yeah, if you want to get, um, you know, if you want to get the best bang for your buck, you know, you, it often pays to look beyond where you live. Mm. Last one I had was um, covering some of, I guess, what what Australians can expect to, to sort of be affected by in the world right, right now. Obviously, there's the Russia-Ukraine thing going on and some of the economic issues that might stem from it. So this guy from InvestSmart called Evan Lucas was touching on it. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. as the international sanctions pile up against Russia, uh, our, the, 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 the first effect that I felt personally was the petrol pump, and I'm sure that was the same for a lot of people. Uh, the, I don't know what it's at right now where you are, Dave, but I think it's about $2.02 .02 or $0.03 cents right now in, in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, so it's more expensive than that here. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so Evan Lucas was talking about it, obviously said that right now, to give you guys a bit of an idea, energy, health, transport, and food costs already consume roughly 60% of household budgets. Uh, if, as expected, inflation pushes this, uh, it's expected to hit about 70 to 75% of household budgets, which will lead to people probably spending less money on renovations, delaying home purchases, and probably taking no holidays. Um food costs are going to be hit just as hard in Lucas's expectation. So Ukraine and Russia's combined accounting for 25% of global wheat exports. Ukraine alone accounts for 13% of corn exports. Now, Russia don't, we don't have a huge amount of trade with Russia compared to other countries. It only, it ranks 29th in value for merch exports. 
but Russia is the world's largest oil exporter and third largest oil producer. So that is going to be a bit how you're going as we come along, as this continues to pro, uh, progress. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't have much to say about all that because it's, it's really sad, obviously, but I'm, I don't know anything about geopolitics, so I'm not going to pretend to. But I wondered what your thoughts were on the stats and what, what other expectations you've, you might sort of mirror from what this guy's saying. Yeah, it's interesting that, um, <clears throat> like, in things generally, well, generally the banks of, sorry, the Reserve Bank has raised interest rates to temper demand. So when inflation's running hot because of high demand, they increase interest rates because that reduces people's spending power. Mm. Um, in this case, it's exactly the opposite. The thing that's pushing up prices is lack of supply. So, yeah, they were talking, there was a story on the ABC business last night about baked beans. And old mate was saying that, you know, it's, about a dollar eighty or a dollar seventy for a can of baked beans, and he said, you know, within a month or two, it would be two dollars twenty, because the you know fuel prices are going up, transport price going up, the cost of containers is going up. Um, you know, for them to produce baked beans and then truck them all around the country, you know, those prices are going, those prices are going up. So we need, you know, so inflation, yeah, those prices will go up and that will sort of affect people's hip pockets. Mm. Um, there's issues with fuel supply because, um, you know, the sanctions on Russia and that sort of thing and they haven't been able to make up the uh, shortfall yet. So that's pushed the oil barrel price up, which translates to higher fuel costs. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the costs, a lot of the things that are going up and causing inflation are supply-driven rather than demand-driven. So I actually think the longer this goes on, the less likely the Reserve Bank will be to raise interest rates because, you know, I, ju I just can't see them doing it. I think, you know, we all sort of thought maybe June, who knows, all this stuff might be over by then or, or maybe not. Mm. But I just think, um, yeah, we're, we're not, we don't have a crystal ball and we don't know what's going to happen, but I would have thought that they'd probably err on the side of not raising rates because if people have been hit in the hip pocket via... Um, yeah, increase, you know, fuel costs, um, food costs, power costs and all that sort of stuff, is the um, RBA then going to, you know, keep people in the head by putting interest rates up? And I think I don't think they will because business costs will go up. Um, you know, we've, all, we've already had a big increase in housing supply costs because of, um, you know, timber, demand for timber, demand for building products, demand for tradies and that sort of thing. So I think it might be, um, it might encourage the RBA just to hold their fire a bit longer. And the other thing is the RBA always said that they'd be concerned if um, inflation was sustainably within the 2 to 3% range or above, sorry, above the 2 to 3% range. And at the moment, they think it's more not sustainable because it's more, you know, supply-driven factors. So it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, there's plenty of people saying that um, if if the global if the global economy um, shuts Russia out of a lot of things, that there's a lot of things we supply that we could then benefit from because we'll be able to make up shortfalls. So, you know, it could be good for our commodities and mining and agriculture, but yeah, who knows? In the yeah, the main thing is we don't know what interest rates are going to do. 
And while they're very, very low, people just need to be putting extra money away to make sure that when rates, when and if rates do go up, that they've got plenty of um, buffer in place. Because you know, if you're if you're on a sub two percent loan for two, three, or four years, when you come off that loan, it ain't going to be sub two percent. It's going to be something higher than that, and your repayments will go up. So if you've got a buffer in place, at least you can weather the storm for a little while and um and um and ride it out. For sure. Was there anything else you wanted to cover before we got out of here? Yeah, a couple of things. Well, we've just been following some of the um property um analysts and you know what they're saying about things and just just a couple of things a couple of markets that we've sort of followed for a while one of them is hobart and you know people go you know why is hobart gone so well and a couple of things since 2014 um, one of the things that's really improved hobart's um, saleability according to the analyst i was reading is um, the improvements to their airport so more people can go there and when more people go there, they go, wow, this is pretty good and end up buying there. And when you improve an airport, you normally get more planes coming in, which reduces the prices. So then more people go there because it's cheaper. So there's just, just some, I just, I just sort of thought that was interesting that there's more to it than just, you know, where's infrastructure being built, where are jobs going and where are, where are population moving to? Because as we sort of, you know, with the other stuff about population, um, it's not necessarily how many people are moving to a spot, it's who's moving to a spot. So in a, in a place like Canberra, when there's a pandemic and the government needs to spend money, a lot of consultants move to Canberra to pick up work and they go there with very good incomes so they can pay higher rents, which means prices go up and then they end up buying places and because there's more of them buying, prices go up. So it's just not a matter of, um, you know, if you put, and this is a pretty, not a very good example, but if you put a thousand people, a thousand job seeker recipients into an area, that's not necessarily going to push up house prices because they, they are, they're unlikely to buy. So um, whereas if you put, if you move a government department or build a big hospital like they've done in Orange, and then you have lots of, um, you know, Sydney surgeons moving up there who are used to living in Rose Bay in a $4 million house, when they all turn up in Orange and go, wow, that, that place is only 600 grand, I'll buy five of them. Um, it's just a different, a different sort of paradigm. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, just, just when you're, when you're looking at property, yeah, make sure you do your research there's there's plenty of stuff around and make sure if someone's giving you advice on where you should buy that just think to yourself you know why are they why are they telling me this because if it is look you know we've got you know i've got 18 properties that i bought in the last four and a half minutes and oh by the way here's 10 you can buy there's usually something in it for them so it's just just a matter of you know making sure you're you're work out where you're getting your advice from and that it's um yeah that it's in your best interest mm, easy well if people want to get in touch with us uh you can go to facebook and check out just search money saver home loans you'll find it there pardon me uh if you want to check us out on instagram f and p survival guide there'll be a link to that in the bio uh, our website is moneysaverhomeloans.com.au. We've got a bunch of great resources on there. 
The utility stuff is all up there too, Dave. So if people want to check that out, there's a source on there to compare for free. You can just compare your bills to, to sort of a bunch of different providers similar to an iSelect type model. Uh, if you want to check that out and see how much you could uh, stand to save uh, switching to a different utility provider. Um, what else was there? Uh, if you want to share the podcast around to any of your friends and family or anyone you think might benefit from the info, you know, I'm not going to stop you. That'd be sweet. Uh, we've got a few interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks that'll be pretty interesting. One is uh, with a guy from a university about housing inequality across the generations. Um, uh, we're going to talk about a paper that was just released talking about that from the University of South Australia. So that should be good. Rich Harvey's on in a couple of weeks. Kate Hill is going to talk about her female investor book in a couple of weeks. So it's all happening. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to share it around that way, that'd be sweet. And uh, yeah, one, of, one of the things, actually, one of the things I, I was going to mention, but I forgot, I was talking to a buyer's agent from Hobart this morning, and I've come up with this theory that the Australian property market is almost designed to always go up in value. And just, just the way that all the parties interact, that there's, you know, people love property, so everyone wants to buy property. Like when you, like in, in European countries, the majority of people rent, but over in Australia, everyone wants to buy you know, a, a property to live in. Um, and secondly, we always, we never build enough. There's always an undersupply of property. And there was something we read about, um, you know, if someone's got a plot of land, it can take six to 10 years to get that to market because of you know, heritage, planning, you know, climate, conservation, indigenous, all, the, all these different factors that have to be ticked off. It's almost impossible to bring stuff to market quickly. And generally we build property not where people want to live. So um, it'd be interesting to see what the chat from um, South Australia Uni says because a lot of the reason why people, say the boomers, live in properties and won't move from them is because of the cost. You know, to, to sell your house and buy elsewhere you know, can be about 10% of the value of your property. So until government sort of you know, get with the program and encourage people to get out of their big houses, we're just going to have the same, the same people talking about the same stuff. But it's the it's the other thing that Einstein said that if you um if you do the same thing and expect a different result is the definition of insanity. We'll just keep doing the stuff that we've been doing, and the market will just keep going up in value over the course of time. Mm. Um, yeah, there'll be there'll be times when prices will drop in some places, like we've seen in Perth and Darwin and those sorts of things, but generally it'll just keep trucking along. Mm. Fair cop. Well, we'll get out of here on that one. Okay, good to chat you. Yeah.